glad you're here today, and if you happen to be joining us online or from Somerset or Williamsburg, or whether you're here in the room in London, or maybe you're joining us from a tree stand, it is that weekend, uh, make sure you turn down the volume and be very still, all right? Uh, but we're glad you're here. If you're a guest of ours or you're away last week, uh, we started a brand new series, and we're talking about words, and we're talking about the fact that words are powerful, and more specific uh, than that, our words are powerful, your words are powerful, my words are powerful. And as soon as we can personalize that and as quickly as we can connect to that emotionally and in our thought process, uh, the better off we're all gonna be just understanding and realizing the fact that our words are powerful. And it means that every word we speak is important and every word that you speak is consequential. That means that what we say and how we say it, it matters a great deal. What you say and what you know, or how I say it and how you say it and what we say, that all matters a great deal because of the power of words. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, uh, it's a big deal still because your words are powerful. But if you're a Jesus follower, this is even more significant because when Jesus defined our faith, he defined our faith around two things, God and people, the way that we love God and the way that we love people. And one of the ways that we treat people, the way that we're supposed to treat people is obviously speaking to people in an appropriate way. So it's really at the heart of our faith. And we all understand the fact that our words are powerful. When we hear it, we understand it and, and we're shaking our heads like, yeah, that's true. Our words are powerful. But we really need to think about the fact that whenever we speak, we do affect people on every level of their being. We affect them physically. We affect them emotionally. We affect them relationally and even spiritually. That means that all of us have the capacity to either do a great deal of harm or a great deal of good with our words. Solomon said it this way. He said, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. I would suggest that you take a three by five card, a post-it note, put it on the wallpaper of your phone, but I would memorize this particular verse. I would put it on the mirror in the bathroom. I would walk around with this verse for the next two or three weeks just to be aware of the fact that your words have the power of life or death. We said it this way last week, that every conversation you have, every time you open up your mouth, you have the opportunity to either spray death or spray life. It's completely your choice. Every single one of us, we know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of death. Too few of us, inconsistently enough, we do not know as much about what it feels like to be on the other end of life giving words. And if you're a Jesus follower, you should be in the business of wanting to speak life to people rather than death. Because Solomon, he's making the point that the stakes are high when it comes to our words, but the choice is ours. The stakes are high, but the choice is ours. And when we speak, we need to understand that we can affect the quality and the direction of other people's lives. Now think about that. Our words can affect the quality and the direction of other people's lives. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he said this. He said that the power of our words can actually shape the course of the future. He said that our words actually have the capacity to change the future of individuals, to impact the future of individuals. Now that sounds, that doesn't sound right, it doesn't sound possible. But James the half-brother Jesus, I think, knew what he was talking about, and he wrote about it in James chapter three. You can read about it in the New Testament. He talked about how the tongue is difficult to control. It's such a small member, but yet it can create real large problems. He says at the same time that it can create a lot of bad, it can also create a lot of good, and the words that we speak can impact destinies. Now that sounds lofty and that sounds idealistic, but I'm telling you, it's absolutely true. 
you know it's absolutely true and you would come to the realization that it's absolutely true if you thought about it long enough. I know it's true because it's part of my story and it's part of your story. Words that have been spoken to you, words that have been spoken over you, words that have been spoken about you have shaped your destiny. They have shaped the place where you are currently today and words will shape where you move forward after this day. Words have impacted our destiny. Uh, I know this to be true because when I was 16, someone said something to me in a way that no one had ever talked to me. They said words to me that I had never been, I'd never had people say things like that to me in my entire life. When I, was, when I was 16, I decided to leave the church that I grew up in, the church where I was converted and became a follower of Jesus. And, and I looked around and it wasn't there, you know, there's anything wrong with the church or anything wrong with the people. I was related to most of the people. I loved them. They were my family. But, but I looked around and there was, there was no one my age and, and I decided that, hey, I I want to go where some of my friends are. So I ended up settling at a church in the town where I grew up and I started attending, you know, the student meetings on Wednesday night and I started attending on Sunday night and then Sunday morning and then pretty soon I was there at every service. And after being there for a few weeks, I'll never forget it. I, I, I can remember it just like it was yesterday. It was a Wednesday night and after church, you know how church people are, they love to just hang out after church. And then there's the remnant that really hang out a long time after church. And usually you have to turn the lights off on them. And then they move that meeting out to the parking lot. Well, that's kind of what happened. And I was part of the remnant that night. And there was just a few of us out in the parking lot. And then one person would go away and another couple of people would leave. And, and pretty soon there was just about five or six of us out there. And the person that I was talking to, you know, they walked off. And then the pastor walked up to me. Now, I talked to the pastor, you know, in passing, but we'd never had a personal conversation. He knew my parents. He played basketball with my dad. Dad, and he knew a little bit of my story and, and and so he came up and he just started making conversation and we probably talked for about 15 or 20 minutes and I'll never ever forget that he looked at me in the middle of that conversation and, and basically he interrupted the thought that he was already into and he said you know what Trevor I really believe that God has a special plan for your life and I believe that God is going to use you in a great way I had never in my entire life had anybody talk to me that way before. I've got wonderful parents, but my family culture, we just didn't talk to each other that way. The church culture that I grew up in, we just didn't talk to each other that way. And he's looking at me in the eyes and he says, Trevor, God's got an incredible plan for your life. And I just know, I just feel as though God's gonna do something great with your life. And those words that day marked me. And those words that day awakened something within me. I've not been able to get away from those words. I have carried those words around with me for now over 20 years. And sometimes when I need it most, I hear those words rattling around in my head. I hear the echo of those words. And as I look back and take inventory of my life like you do from time to time, I look back and I understand that there have been times in my life that those words have kept me from some really, really, really bad decisions. Now I have made some really bad decisions and I've made some really, really bad decisions. But looking back, those words I feel like have kept me from the really, really, really bad decisions. Those words have kept me from wandering too far off the reservation. At times in my life, it's been those words that kept me from quitting or walking away or finding something else better to do or different to do. 
I don't think that I would be here today if it were not for those words that were spoken to me that day. I will speak to over 2,000 people today. There will be thousands more that will watch our services all this week. I'm doing something I never planned on doing. I'm doing something today that I never wanted to do. And I can't help but believe, you'll never convince me any differently that I am where I am and I'm doing what I'm doing. In large part of those words being spoken to me that day. They marked me. And I'm carrying them around to this very day. And I imagine that I will carry them around until the day of my death because it is the power of encouraging words. Words are powerful. But let's talk about the power of encouraging words. I think because of my own story and because I know many of your stories and I know a lot of your stories without even knowing your story because our stories are all pretty much the same. I understand I think as a pastor, I think it's just a part of humanity and part of this community and having a family and having friends and just listening and watching. I think that one of the best things, one of the greatest things that you and I can choose to do with our words is to decide to encourage someone. That the most profound thing that we can decide to do with our words is to encourage other people. So here, let me ask you a question just to prove my point. Everybody in Williamsburg, Somerset here in London, let me ask a question by showing of hands. Anybody here, you're getting encouraged too much? Anybody got too much encouragement? Anybody? Anybody getting more encouragement than you know what to do about? I didn't think so. It's the power of encouraging words. We're robbing one another of one of the greatest things in life. We're robbing one another of the potential of shaping one another's destiny for God and for good. William Arthur Ward, he said this. He said, you flatter me, I may not believe you. Criticize me, I may not like you. If you ignore me, I may not forget you. But if you encourage me, I will not forget you. And you remember the people that have spoken over your life. You remember the people who have spoken into your life. And you can still remember words that have been said to you, that have brought you to this place, that have shaped you in some formative way. Words that were transformative, words that you still carry around today, that still offer you encouragement, that still offer you hope. It's a really big deal. Everyone is someone who needs encouragement. That's a fact. Everyone is someone who needs encouragement. Let's all just say that together. Everyone is someone who needs encouragement. Let's, one more time and with some meaning. Everyone is someone who needs encouragement. If you believe that, and if I believe that, can you imagine every day if we got up and we operated off of that assumption? Can you imagine if every husband here operated off the assumption that his wife was someone who needed encouragement? Can you imagine if every wife woke up and assumed that their husband was a man who needed encouragement? Can you imagine if moms and dads assume that their sons or daughters were human beings who needed encouragement. Can you just imagine that we assume that about our friends? We assume that about our neighbors? We assume that about the person checking us out at the supermarket? We assume that about the people that we go to church with? Imagine if we woke up every day and we just operated off the assumption that everyone is someone who needs encouragement, no matter what their age is, how young, how old, how successful they look, how self-confident they come across. Here's how you know if someone needs encouragement. You ready for this? You might want to write this down. Here's how you know if someone needs encouragement. They're breathing. 
They're breathing. They're alive. Everybody needs encouragement. And because I'm a pastor and because I get to hear lots of stories, good, bad, and ugly, because I live through life just like you and because life is difficult and life is tough, by watching and observing and listening, here's what I'm convinced of. From my perspective, discouragement is an epidemic. Discouragement is an epidemic. It is a plague in our culture. I don't care how flashy and how good things look on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. I don't care how big the smile is when people show up to church on Sunday morning or when you bump into them and you ask them how things are going. Everyone is someone who needs encouragement. And from my perspective, most people are struggling in a deep personal way with discouragement. And they are in deep need, dire need. Of encouragement because I think that most all of us are struggling with some some form of self-doubt some expression of insecurity and because of it we are all in need of encouragement here's something else to keep in mind people are hurting more than you know and they're hurting more than they show everyone is someone who needs encouragement you know how I know many of you are hurting more than you show. And some of you are hurting more than the people around you know. Discouragement is a big deal because discouraged people sooner or later become disengaged people. When you stay discouraged for too long, you disengage, perhaps from family, from your career, from faith, from the church, from friends, from life. When you get discouraged and you stay discouraged, The problem is sooner or later you are going to disengage because that's what happens to discouraged people. They disengage. That's why everyone is someone who needs encouragement because only the encouraged can stay engaged. Everybody on some level, they're struggling with fear, frustration, fatigue, failure. If you want to know when to encourage someone, whenever you hear someone talk about something related to fear, hear that and say, okay, I got to encourage this person. If someone's talking about what they're afraid of, if they're concerned about something, if they're talking about circumstances, they're afraid about the future, they're afraid about the stock market, they're afraid about the government, they're afraid about war, they're afraid about plagues, you know, whatever it is. And you hear somebody talking about they're afraid, boom, that's a moment, that's an opportunity, that's a cue to encourage. Someone talks about they're frustrated, they're just frustrated with people, they're frustrated with themselves, they're frustrated with life. That's an opportunity, that's a signal, that's a cue. Hey, I need to encourage that person. I need to stop what I'm doing and I need to encourage them. If someone's fatigued, they're talking about how much, you know, how much time they're spending working, you know, they're burning at both ends of the candle. You know, they've got more things on the calendar that they can remember that they can keep up with and they're just tired, man, they're just, they're exhausted. Listen for that as an opportunity to encourage them. When someone's talking about failure, you know they failed, they feel like they failed God, feel like they failed themselves, feel like they failed others. Listen for that. And when you hear that, that is an opportunity to encourage someone. Because when people get discouraged, walking away, quitting, giving up, always seems like a good option. That's why we have to operate off the assumption that everyone is someone who needs encouragement because everyone has some fear and frustration and fatigue and failure that they're dealing with they may not be talking about. And when they get discouraged, they lose vision, they lose confidence, they lose lose their courage, and sometimes they lose their way and even at times they lose their faith. And since we really never know what's going on in each other's lives, Since we'll never know about that deepest part of one's heart and the deepest part of what they're thinking about in their mind, we just ought to assume that everyone is someone 
who needs encouragement. No matter how good it seems as though they've got it, everyone is someone who needs encouragement because there's thoughts that that person's dealing with, there's struggles that that person's dealing with, there's feelings that that person's dealing with, there's experiences, experiences that that person is dealing with that they need encouragement concerning. It's a big deal. And so here's the big idea. Because everyone around us needs encouragement, every one of us needs to be an encourager. If you don't remember anything else, just remember that. Because everyone around us needs encouragement, every one of us needs to be an encourager. So you may ask, well, what, is, what does it mean to encourage? What, what does it mean? What does encouragement actually mean? Well, it means to motivate. It means to inspire. Motivation is getting someone going. Inspiration is keeping someone going. That's what encouragement is. It motivates and it inspires. It gets us going and it keeps us going. It gets us going and it keeps us going. It's motivating and inspiring people. It's giving them courage. It's depositing confidence and hope in that person. It's spurring them on. It's stirring them up. It's firing them up. It's persuading them to keep on going. It's it's persuading them not to quit. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't walk away. You're needed. You're important. This is too important for you to quit. You're needed. You're wanted. It's persuading someone to stay in, to keep running, to keep fighting. It's helping people take a step that they don't feel like taking on their own. It's helping someone take a step they don't feel like they can take on their own. Encouragement is helping someone grow stronger. It's helping someone improve and get better. That's what it means to encourage. And that's what we should use our words to do. We should be helping one another move forward. We should help one another grow stronger. We should be offering one another words of encouragement because I think it's the most important thing we can do because everybody has a next step that they're afraid to take, they're too tired to take, they're too frustrated to take, or they failed so many times they're convinced that if they take another step, they're gonna fail again. And what they need more than anything else is a word of encouragement. They need you to step into their story and help them write a better story. Now science agrees with the scripture that encouragement is a big deal and it is important. Science has actually done a lot of studies about positive and negative words. Scientists, they tell us, and this, you can read all about this all over the internet. Scientists tell us that positive words affect gene expression, strengthens our frontal lobe capacity and function. Now think about that. You speak positive words of encouragement to people, you're actually helping their brain become better and stronger. Listen, you know this already. Some people really need that. They need all the help that they can get to get that thing rolling better up there. They they need all the help they can get to get thinking better. You may be one of those people. I may be one of those people. But whenever we speak words of encouragement to each other, our brain functions better. Scientists also have said that anytime we speak a negative word to someone, dozens of chemicals are released in our brain that makes it difficult for us to think logically and reasonably. It impairs our ability to communicate and it clouds our judgment. That's the power of positive and negative words. That negative words actually weigh more than positive words. I say it like this, positive words are difficult to remember. Negative words are difficult to forget. You know this, someone can speak positive words to you and you'll hold on to it for a little bit of time but pretty soon it evaporates away. A negative word is so heavy, it is steadfast, It anchors itself in you and it is hard to get away from that negative word. It's the same thing we talked about a couple weeks ago. You go big on grace and a little on salt. This This is the point, that you have to speak a lot of positive words to overdo the effect of just a small amount of negative words. 
And this is why we have to use our words for encouragement. Words like this, you've got this, I believe in you. Some of you have never said these words to anybody. More tragic than that, some of you have never heard these words from anyone. Hang in there, you can do this. Hang in there, it's gonna be worth it. Hey, I want you to know I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you no matter what. You get this right, you get this wrong, you fall on your face. Hey, if you fail the next seven tries, I'm with you. I'm with you all the way no matter what. Hey, you're gifted. You're just not good. You're, you're, you're gifted at that. Thank you for using, you're so gifted. Stay strong, don't give up, you're great. Great job, really, right? We say, great job, great job, great job. It's just like, we're not even thinking about it. But stopping, great job, no, really, I want you to know. Here, look at me. That was incredible. That was awesome. That meant something to me, that moved me, thank you. God, God is using you. You may not feel like it, it may not seem like it, but I want you to know God is using you. Using you in my life, using you in other people's lives. Hey, you're special, you're special. Some of you have never heard those words from anybody. Now, here's the great news. We can change that. That's a problem we can address. That's a problem we are the solution to. In a world where too few, too few people hear those words, we can be the people who speak words of life. We can be people who speak words of encouragement. I try to do this with the boys all the time. I got little phrases, Allison has little phrases, but I, I look at the boys and even when, I'm, even when I'm trying to correct them, I'll say things like this. You've disappointed me, but I want you to know I still believe in you. You've disappointed me, but I believe in you. There's, there's greatness in you. There's greatness in you and God's gonna do something in your life. God's got a plan for your life. I want you to know you're special. You're special, there's something special about you. There's something that's different about you. There's something unique about you. Listen, these are powerful words. Can you imagine a home where spouses talk to each other like that? Can you imagine a world where, a world where friends talk to each other that, that way? Where followers of Jesus talk to each other that way? Solomon said this, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. I mean, everybody loves sweets. He said, that's encouragement. Everybody wants to hear encouragement. It's healing. In ancient days, honey was like medicine. They would put it on wounds. It was like an antibacterial. And you know about honey, right? I don't have time to tell you all about this, but you just need to get this part. You know, bees, you know, honey comes from bees. They go around to all these flowers, sometimes as many as 1,200 different flowers they feed from, and they, they sip the nectar of the flower, right? They take it down to their stomach, and bees have two stomachs. They have, they have a normal stomach for food and such, and then they have a honey stomach. And so they, they drink the nectar, and it goes into the honey stomach, and it sits there. And then it goes through a biological process and a series of processes and it becomes ultimately what we think of honey. It actually changes in substances and nature and there's lots of different chemical reactions that happen. And then at the right time, you know what the bee does? It throws up the honey that's in the honey stomach. So basically it's bee puke. That's honey. Now here's the thing. The nectar that they took in and processed at the right time they brought it back out for the benefit of other people. That's what it means to be an encourager. You receive encouragement, you take encouragement, at the right time, you give it away. And that's a big deal. And that's the point that he's trying to make. You can actually bring healing to someone. He also says this, that the words of the reckless, they pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You can undo years of abusive language that people have had to endure by speaking words of encouragement to them consistently. It's amazing the power of our words. We can change people's destinies 
by the words we choose to speak. And so here's the question you should have before we leave. You should ask, well, how do we do this? How, 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 how do we become encouragers? You know, what are some handles we can put, you know, our hands on? How, how can we learn to do this practically? Well, I think there's one particular person who shows us how to encourage people better than any other. And he's a guy who has affected your life profoundly, though indirectly, he has profoundly affected your life. He was a leader in the first century church. We read about him in the book of Acts. He was a Jewish man. He was from the tribe of Levi and his name was Joseph. And you have no idea who I'm talking about. You may not know Joseph, but you know him by his nickname. And this is how we're introduced to this guy who can teach us all that we need to know about encouragement. In the book of Acts, it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. Says, ah, Barnabas, I've heard of Barnabas before, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that he owned. He brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. That's how we're introduced to him. A man who's encouraging the entire church through an act of generosity. Now, here's something to think about. His parents named him Joseph, and perhaps they called him Joe, Jojo, JJ. Who, who knows? His parents named him Joseph, but here's what his friends nicknamed him encouragement. What if the people closest to you, what if your closest friends thought of you as their greatest encourager? What is it about friendship that the more you, you grow in friendship with some people, sometimes you just stop that kind of talk? You, you just don't encourage one another. You, you don't use those types of phrases with one another. What, what happened? What's up with that? Our friends ought to be the people that we're encouraging. Our family ought to be the people that we're encouraging. The people closest to us ought to think of us as encouragers. And here's Barnabas. In the days of the early church, in its formative days, he decides that he's going to sell a piece of property. He's going to give the money. He's going to help fund the vision of the church. He's encouraging through his generosity, and he's encouraging through his words. And when anybody thinks of Joseph, they think, <laughs> boy, he's a real son of encouragement. I'll tell you what, you can't get around him and not be encouraged. And so there's a principle that we learn just from this introduction to Barnabas. It's this right here. When it comes to encouragement, those closest should get the mostest. That's what it is. Your friends ought to get the most encouragement from you. Your spouse should get the most encouragement from you. Your children should get the most encouragement from you. And if that begins to be true, we're gonna change the destinies of people's lives. It's a big deal. So be intentional to encourage at home, at work, with friends. Tell them they're special. Tell them they're gifted. Tell them there's greatness inside of them. Tell them that God's using them. Tell them that God's got a plan for their life. That's what Barnabas did. And they called him encouragement. Now, sometime after this, after the church is getting going, about five years or so later, persecution breaks out in the local church and the disciples spread. There's a new guy on the scene. He's a bad guy. His name is Saul of Tarsus. He's persecuting Christians everywhere until he meets Jesus himself, becomes a follower of Jesus. And Saul, who we call the apostle Paul, becomes a great preacher and he's going to become a church planter. But when Saul of Tarsus first became converted to Jesus, nobody believed it. They thought that it was just a ruse. They thought that he was just trying to fake it. They thought he was just trying to get access to the upper tier of leadership in the church so that he could wipe them out and stop the church once and for all. And so once Saul got converted on the road to Damascus, no one wanted to believe him. And this is what it says. It says, when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples because he is now a disciple. 
But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. So that the apostles were like, we don't buy it. We don't think you're changed. We don't think you're saved. We don't think you've really met Jesus. Then it says, but Barnabas. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and how the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly. Now here, here this is important. Barnabas believed about Saul what the apostles refused to believe about Saul. Barnabas saw something in Saul that Peter couldn't see in Saul, that John couldn't see in Saul, that Nathaniel couldn't see in Saul. It's amazing. Barnabas saw something in Saul that nobody else could or nobody else would. And this is such an important thing because Barnabas goes to bat in this moment for Saul. Barnabas is a leader. He's trusted. When he opens up his mouth, people listen. He's been generous. He's a leader. He's involved. He's engaged. And so he shows up and he looks at the guys. He says, guys, I just want to tell you you're wrong on this. This guy's legit. This guy's real. This guy's going to be a game changer for us. God's going to use this man. If anybody could take this church forward, it's going to be this guy. This guy is a scholar. This guy has been a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Guys, he's met Jesus. He's a different guy. You need to let him in. And the apostles received Saul into their company because of the words of Barnabas. And you know what? The world changed. The destiny of Saul changed. The destiny of one man was tied up in the words of his friend, Barnabas. And here's the principle. Don't ever be afraid to believe in people. Don't ever be afraid to keep believing in people. Barnabas believed in him when no one else believed in him. And because of it, Saul became the greatest missionary statesman that the world has ever known next to Jesus. He became the greatest force for God and good in the New Testament that we know of and that we can read of. All because one man decided to believe in another. When you decide to start believing in people, because some of you don't, when you decide to start believing in people, some of you stop believing in people because you just, you've just got, you've gotten burned too many times and you just expect them to not keep their end of the deal. You expect them to fall flat on their face. You expect lies. You expect dishonesty. You expect all that. You become a cynic. You need to start believing in people again because when you believe in people, they may start believing in themselves and other people may start believing in them. And that's what Barnabas teaches us about the power of encouragement. Now, Saul, he starts preaching again and he gets himself in trouble. So his new friends, the apostles, send him up to Tarsus to preach and life keeps going. About 10 years goes by. There's still a lot of racial tension in the church between Jews and Gentiles. Matter of fact, there are no Gentiles in the church at this time. It's only Jewish people. Then all of a sudden, a little bit north in the city of Antioch, there's words being spoken that Gentiles are flooding into the church, that Gentiles are being saved. And all of a sudden up in Antioch, it was very controversial, it was revolutionary. Now, Jewish and Gentile people are going to church together. And there was a lot of tension in that. There was a lot of racism, like I said, that still existed in the church. And so this was a real potential disaster, a real potential powder keg for lots of things to go wrong. And so Antioch is kind of breaking all the rules. This is not how church looks down in Jerusalem. This is not how church looks anywhere at this point. Church at this point is just Jewish people, but now all of a sudden there's a bunch of Gentiles attending that church. And so the apostles, they hear about it. And this, this, is, this is what it says. This is news of this, what's happening up in Antioch. Reach the church in Jerusalem and guess who they send? Antioch. They send Barnabas to Antioch. They say, Barnabas, we, we got a job for you. Would you go to Antioch, find out what in the world's going on? 
And so Barnabas goes and it says, when he arrived, he saw the grace of God. He saw what the grace of God had done and he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. Now, here's what I wanna say. Thank God they sent an encourager rather than a cynic or a critic to Antioch. Most of the church people we've been around in our life, thank God they didn't send them. That they go up there to Antioch and they're like, this looks nothing like a church down in Jerusalem. This is not gonna work. This is, this is gonna be a disaster. It's not gonna work. You can't put Jewish and Gentile people together. This is, this is gonna end badly for all of us. Now Barnabas shows up. He's not threatened by what's new. He's not threatened by this revolutionary change that seems to be happening in the church. He embraced it and he celebrated it. He embraced it and he celebrated it. He saw God at work in the new. He saw God at work in what seemed controversial and revolutionary. He embraced it and he celebrated it. And it was a big deal because later on, Antioch is gonna become the hub of the New Testament church. And from Antioch, the gospel of Jesus is gonna move west. And you know who's in the west? Me and you. So the gospel's moving in our direction all because of this incredible church at Antioch. And if Barnabas had went up there with a cynical view and if he'd gone up there with a critical word, he could have shut the whole thing down. But he embraced it and he celebrated it. And the world changed. And your life got impacted. And the principle is this. Celebrate what's right more than you critique what's wrong. And this is hard to do. Some of us just see what's wrong first. <laughs> we just walk in, we hear what's wrong, see what's wrong. Most of us, we grew up in churches where when people left and had Sunday afternoon lunch, we talked about all the things that were wrong with that Sunday's church. The message, too long, too short, music, too loud, too soft, don't know those songs, heard those songs too many times, you know. What if we celebrated what was right way more than we critiqued what was wrong? And critiquing what's wrong is important. It's how you get better, it's how you grow stronger, but what if we celebrated what was right more than what was wrong? What if parents pointed out the right that their kids were doing faster than we pointed out the wrong that they were doing? What if we celebrated the right that we see in each other's lives before we criticize most of the time privately behind their back the wrong that we think we see? Let me tell you what would happen. People would be encouraged. People aren't used to that. So Barney and Saul, they become great friends. They actually go off on a missionary trip with each other. And they go around and they preach to all these cities and all these people get saved. And then they come back home and they give a report of what happened. Sometime later, Saul that we now call Paul, Paul decides he wants to go back and revisit all those people and see what's happening. And here's what it says. It says, sometime later, Paul looked at Barnabas and said, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where, the, where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And Barnabas, okay. But it says, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark or John, who's also called Mark with them, but Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And listen to this, Paul and Barnabas, they had sharp disagreement and they parted ways. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul took Silas and Timothy and went in a different direction. This, this, was, like, this was like the Sonny and Cher of the church breaking up. I mean, this was huge. These were best friends. And now they're at odds with each other over what are we gonna do about this guy who failed? What are we gonna do about this guy that deserted us in Pamphylia? And Paul, Paul said, I, I got time, I'm done, I'm done. 
no, he's not going. We don't need him. He left us last time. He'll leave us again. We're not going with that guy. Barnabas, leave him behind. Barnabas, no, I'm not leaving him behind. I am not letting this guy end on failure. I am not allowing this guy to be remembered for a failure. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it, Paul. We need to take him. Paul said, we're not going to take him. We're not going to do it. And Barnabas said, okay, I'm going to take him because I'm not going to let him end on a failure. And so they parted ways. Paul and Barnabas arguing. Can you imagine? Here's the principle. Don't allow people's past to affect what you believe about their future. And some of you do. Some of us do. Barnabas didn't want John Mark to be defined by his worst moment, his weak moment, his silly decision. He wanted this guy to have another chance. He saw something in John Mark Paul didn't see in John Mark. And you know what? You know who was right? Barnabas. 12 or 14 years later, John Mark decides to sit down and write something. And you've probably read it or heard someone read it to you. We call it the gospel according to Mark. And the world has been changed because a man said, I'm not gonna let him end on a failure. I'm not gonna let him stay down. And Paul, if we have to part ways, brother, you know I love you and I always will, but I'm going with him. And in the next 12 to 14 years, Barnabas encouraged John Mark to the point that the world all around has heard the story of Jesus from the pen of Mark, who Paul wanted nothing to do with it. What if us Jesus followers got to the place where we were the Barnabases that decided no one gets left behind? No one gets to end on a failure. And if it costs us going forward with someone else we love, we are not gonna let someone stay in the gutter. We're not gonna let anybody be defined by their worst moment, their silly mistakes. We're gonna stay behind. And we're gonna encourage them and we're gonna speak life to them and we're gonna build them up and we're gonna stir them up and we're gonna fire them up. Because after all, aren't we all mess ups and aren't we all failures and aren't we all screw ups? And don't we all need a Barnabas from time to time not to leave us behind? When the Pauls wanna discard us and when the Pauls say, hey, you're not welcome, you can't keep up, you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you don't believe good enough, your faith is not good enough. We all need Barnabases to step in and say, hey, I'll stick with you. I'll walk with you through this. You're going to be better because of this. You're going to get stronger because of this. What if we all were people like that? What if we celebrated what was right? What if the people closest to us got the most encouragement? What if we saw the potential in people rather than their problems? What if we went to bat for one another? What if one day people stand up and tell their stories and they tell about a conversation they had with you and how it altered their destiny the impact of Barnabas cannot be calculated but we've all benefited because he decided to encourage now here, here's where I, I want to end it because I prayed about this thought about this so that's how you encourage those are some principles but what if you're discouraged 
What, what if you're discouraged? How, how do you begin to encourage someone when you yourself are discouraged? Encouraged people encourage people. It's hard to encourage when you are discouraged. Someone must have been encouraging Barnabas. And I wonder if it wasn't the fact that he was encouraging himself. I think the best way, I could be wrong, but I don't think I am, that the best way to learn how to encourage others is to learn how to encourage yourself. When King David's world fell apart, it says that he encouraged himself in the Lord. Do you know what we have been gifted? We have been gifted the scriptures, a book full of encouragement. That we have the opportunity at times to encourage ourselves because no one else is there to encourage us. Sometimes I get discouraged. Sometimes I think I'm no good. Sometimes I think I'm not worth much at all. Sometimes I feel like a failure as a husband, and as a father, as a pastor, as a leader. Sometimes I feel like somebody else could do what I do far better than what I do. I let lots of things slip through the cracks. I forget things that I'm supposed to remember. And sometimes I just get discouraged and there's no one there to encourage me. No one knows. And it's in those moments that we all have to learn how to encourage ourselves so that we can begin to encourage others. And one of the best ways to encourage ourselves is to take the truth of the scriptures that can cut through the lies of discouragement. To take the truth of scripture that shines light into the darkness of our circumstances. To take the truth of the scriptures that are able to lift us and build us up and speak words of life to us. We encourage ourselves so that we can learn how to encourage others. Sometimes I write letters to myself. Sometimes I just take verses about what God says about me and what God says about my life, what God says about my past, what God says about my present and future. And I just speak it over me. I speak it to me. I speak it about me. I'll get in a quiet place and I'll use my voice and I'll use my words and I'll begin to encourage me. And I'll say things like this, Trevor, you're afraid right now. But I'm saying to myself, what times I am afraid, God, I will trust in you. I will say that you are the light of my salvation and I will say that there is no one of whom I will be afraid. The Lord, the God of heaven and earth, he is the light of my life. I will not be afraid of what man can do to me. I will not be afraid of what the future holds for me. Though an army camp against me, I will not be afraid because you are my refuge and you are my strength. You are a present help in the time of trouble. And when the mountains are removed and fall into the sea and when the waters roar and when the earth shakes, I even then in those moments will not be afraid because you are with me. I will not be afraid of suffering that may be around the corner. I will not be afraid of the light momentary affliction because it's working in me a far greater weight of glory. I may get pressed down, but I will not be crushed. 
And I may get perplexed, but I will not despair. I may get persecuted, but I will not be forsaken. I will rise from the ashes. I will rebuild from the ruins. I will trade my garment of heaviness for a garment of gladness and for a garment of praise. I may cry through the night, but when I wake up in the morning, my tears will be gone. Joy will be in my heart and a peace that passes all understanding that the world cannot take away is mine and only mine. I will encourage myself in the word. When I am frustrated, I will remind myself not to be weary in well-doing. I will reap if I faint not. There is a field to be tended. There are people's lives that depend on my obedience. There is a calling for me to fulfill. There is a mission spoken over me. I have the Spirit of God empowering me to do what God has called me to do. I don't have time to be fatigued and frustrated and quit and walk away. There is someone who's got to work the field. The laborers are few, but I will be one of the few. I may be frustrated. I may be tired, but they will not make me walk away. I will encourage myself when I'm afraid, when I'm frustrated, when I'm fatigued, when I'm failed. I remind myself that God, your grace is bigger and greater than my guilt. God, you have promised to take my sin up. You have promised to remove it as far as the east is from the west. That when I confess my sin, when I confess it and forsake it, God, you are just and faithful to forgive me of all of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I have received the righteousness of Christ, the holiness of Christ, the anointing of Christ. I am who you say I am. I am chosen. I am loved with an everlasting love. Nothing can separate me from your love. Not my failure, not death, not life, not principality not power I am strong in the Lord I am accepted in the Lord I am a son of God I am created as a masterpiece and a trophy of grace I am special I am a treasure I am an apple of your eye I am gifted you have a plan for me and the best is yet to come what if we what if we could begin to encourage ourselves so that like the honeybee we take it in we process it and at the right moment we speak it out as words of life Heavenly Father help us to be encouragers God help us to encourage ourselves. Help us not to quit and not to walk away. Help us to know who we are because of who you say we are. And then we'll be able to remind other people who they are based on who you say they are. God, help us to be encouraged. Help us to realize that we are blessed in our coming in and our going out. That we are the head and we are not the tail that we are forgiven and we are free. We are sons and we are daughters. We are champions. And when we fall down, we get back up. And we will not be defined by our worst moment. We will not be defined by our addictions. We will not be defined by our shortcomings. We will not be defined by our weakness, but we will be defined by our Savior, Jesus. Lord, let us be encouraged in this moment so that we can encourage others in Jesus' name.